0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez, and I want to thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at slash connect. This help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now we'll conclude our series,
1: A World Without God. Let's listen in. Revelation 6 9. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar The souls of those who had been what? Yes, slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. Verse 10 They called out in a loud voice How long? Everybody say, How long? long. Everybody say, "How How long? Yeah, how long, sovereign Lord? Holy and true. Well, let's stop there. If you would, grab a seat at all of our campuses. I want to set this up by sharing this with you. When our daughters, Natalie and Rebecca, were little girls, we almost always took our summer vacation to one place, and that was Ocean Lakes Family Campground, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Because for our girls and us, that was like paradise. And we loved it because because Ocean Lakes is a gated oceanfront resort that is geared for campers and camping. And we loved it because Ocean Lakes has got everything you need right there in the gates, including a mile and a half of oceanfront beach, Three huge swimming pools with these big gargantuan slides, five lakes to fish in, hamburger joints, hot dog joints, ice cream places, grocery stores, a church, and thousands and thousands of campsites. And what makes Ocean Lake so special is that it's a golf cart community. In other words, once you get in, everybody converts from cars to golf carts. And it's all about family. And so you see all these moms and dads with their children, thousands of golf carts riding. And then at night everybody comes out on their golf carts, goes and gets an ice cream, and thousands of golf carts are cruising up and down the beach. And we just have always loved it. Our kids loved it. At any rate, when it came time to go to Myrtle Beach, we would always turn out of the driveway in Charlotte. And then we would begin that three-mile trek to Ocean Lakes. And let me tell you, my little girls, Natalie and Rebecca, always loved that trip. All the way there, they were so excited. All the way there, they were so thrilled. Until until we got to State Road 544, which was the final stretch into Myrtle Beach. And picture it. Back then, State Road 544 was a two-lane road, one going in and one coming out. And there was nothing on that road. I mean, no McDonald's, no Burger King, no gas stations, nothing but bare land. But at the same time, that road would always be backed up with traffic, with cars, with campers, all trying to get into Ocean Lake's campground. Which meant, which meant that final stretch of the journey was the longest stretch of the journey because you were just stuck right there in that traffic. And folks, once we got stuck in that traffic, it never failed. Both my girls would start saying, I gotta go to the bathroom. I gotta go to the bathroom. And there was nowhere to go. And we were stuck on that road and we couldn't get off of it. And they would get in great distress they would feel like they were in great tribulation and they would be crying i gotta go to the bathroom i gotta go to the bathroom and then would come the question how long oh lord i mean oh daddy (laughs) till we get to ocean lakes how long until i can go to the bathroom how long till i can get some relief You see, I don't have to tell you, when children are having fun, time goes by fast. But when they feel like they are in distress and struggling, time just goes by slow, and they begin to lament, how long till I get some relief? Now, let me turn a corner and bring all of that over to us, because what an image of how we can feel when life seems to get stuck on a road of great distress and who knows maybe maybe i'm describing you maybe that's the way you felt today when you came in here you feel like my life is str- is just stuck on this road of great tribulation of great stress and i just can't seem to get off of it and you begin to cry out in your heart how long oh god Must I be single? How long, oh God, must I be broke? How long, oh God, must we be in debt? How long, oh God, must I have cancer? How long, oh God, must I endure chemo? Must I endure radiation? How long, oh God, must I be abused in this relationship? How long, oh God, must I be looked over at work? How long, oh God, must my business continue to fail? How long, oh God, must I go unloved? You see, I don't have to tell you, when life is going good, time just flies, doesn't it? You know, we all say, life is short. But transverse, folks, when life's not going good, when life is hard and you feel like you're enduring great tribulation, let me tell you, time doesn't fly by, it drags by. It goes slow. When you're struggling, when you're in pain, when you're hurting, and you can begin to cry out, how long, oh God, must I endure this? Now folks, let me bring all of that over to the book of Revelation, specifically to chapter 6, because the people of God in Revelation chapter 6 are in a time of biblical tribulation. This is what's called the great tribulation that Jesus spoke about. These people, their world is in great tribulation, and the world will be in great tribulation. But check this out. In the middle of this biblical tribulation period, listen, the people of God begin to pray. They begin to pray to God. And Revelation chapter 6 records that prayer. And folks, here's my proposition today. This is what I want us all to walk out the door with. We can learn how to pray today in our own tribulations by looking at how these people will pray in the great tribulation. Does that make sense? Let me say it again just to be sure. You and I can learn how to pray today in our times of of what feels like great tribulation, what may feel like biblical tribulation. We can learn how to pray and how to cope with our tribulations today by looking at how these people, could be you and me one day, manage and pray in the days of the great tribulation, the biblical tribulation. You might be saying, Well, Rick, how can we learn from them? And what do we learn? specifically about praying for the, from them. What we're gonna find out as we begin to unpack this passage today, how many of you have your listening guides with you? It's in your, in your folder there, your worship folder at all of our campuses, wave those in the air. If you're a guest with us, we like to take notes. And I always say this, but it's true, especially in Revelation, this will be a lot more like teaching, a lot of theology, so you gotta lean in and engage your brains. I know it's early, so if you're a little drowsy, shift gears. Let's think through some critical things about praying that we learn from these people. Number one, if you're filling in the blanks, two big thoughts. Number one, in times of tribulation, what do you do? Pray. 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 Now, i got to tell you, that sounds like something a preacher would say. That, that to me, sounds so benign. Pray. Let's pray. Everybody say, let's pray. pray. Everybody say, let's pray. Yeah. Now, before we dive in this, can, can can I make a personal confession here, specifically about prayer, and namely about being called on to pray in public? I hate being called on to pray in public. Now don't get me wrong, I love praying in my quiet time with God, I love praying with you in here, I love praying in our small groups, but I hate being called on to pray at something like a wedding, or something like a, you know, a board meeting, and, and here's why I hate it. It's because most of the time, it's the obligatory prayer. It's the, let's get God out of the way prayer. It's the, oh yeah, we got the God, let's, let's get God out of the way. Hey, uh, Rick, aren't you a preacher? Yeah. Lead us in a word of prayer. I hate it. And not only is it obligatory, public prayers, they have expectations, don't they? And the expectation is you're supposed to pray something profound. I can never think of anything profound to say. Yeah. And not only is it supposed to be profound, it's supposed to be perfect. In other words, it's supposed to be spoken with no stuttering. So, I always find myself, when I'm praying in public, I'm praying something on the outside, but on the inside, I'm praying something real hard. God, help me not to stutter. God, help me not to stutter. Just help me to get through this. Help me not to spaz up. And not only that, in in public praying, when you're called on to pray, you're not supposed to pray too specifically. So, we pray for the missionaries. We pray for the schools. We pray for the children. You know, we pray general stuff. And not only that, you're not supposed to be too passionate in your prayer. And I mean, if you get too passionate, people start going, what is this? (laughs) Right? Now, I'm saying all that to tell you, this prayer in Revelation chapter 6 is nothing like the, the normal, obligatory, public prayer. This prayer is dramatically different, and here's why. The people praying are praying about the biblical tribulation. Let me say that again. The people praying in Revelation 6 are praying about the biblical tribulation. Tell you what, hold that thought and let me set the stage of the biblical tribulation. Let me read the text again. Listen to this. Verse 9. When he had opened the, the fifth seal, Meaning what? We've already looked at one, two, three, and four. And you'll remember when Jesus opens the first seal in Revelation 6-1, that launches what the Bible calls the biblical tribulation, a seven-year period of great tribulation on the earth like the earth has never seen. So we're on number five. Watch what happens. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... The souls of those who had been slain, and here's a key word, they were slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Everybody stop right there. Because we've been saying at the beginning of this series that more and more, we live in a world that wants to get rid of God. They want God out. They want God out of the schools. They want God out of the government. They want God out of our minds. Inextricably, they want God off the planet. Because they imagine in their mind that a world without God would be a better place. They think God is not the solution to the world's problems. They think he's the source of the problem. And if we could just get rid of God, the world would be a better place. Well, In this coming period called the Great Tribulation, God is going to give them their wish. You want a world without me? God's going to give it to them, he says. And God is going to back out of the world, as it were, and withdraw his hand of protection from the globe. And when God does that in Revelation chapter 6, the Great Tribulation catastrophes are unleashed on this planet. I want you to stay with me because not only does the world have a desire to get rid of God, but more and more they have a desire to be rid of God's people. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but more and more there's this pervasive dislike for God, for God's word, word, and for the people who maintain the testimony of God. This growing dislike for, for Christians is becoming pervasive. And I'm telling you, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse to the degree that in Revelation 6, 9, here's where it's going. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. And why were they slain? Because of the word of God and the testimony they maintain. In other words, in the coming biblical tribulation, God's people will be persecuted. They will be martyred. And the code will be, you either shut up or be shut up. You either shut up about God or we'll shut you up. We'll be the MO. But folks, here's my point. Behind this coming persecution will be Satan himself. You make no mistake about it. Satan hates God. Hates him. And Satan always attacks God by attacking God's word and by attacking God's people. Especially those who refuse to shut up about God. Who refuse to not speak up and maintain their testimony. And so, Christians who refuse to be to shut up, who are bold in their testimony, they're going to be shut up during the Great Tribulation. More to come on that in the weeks to come. For now, here's what I want you to understand. In Revelation chapter 6, these Christians have been slain on the earth, and their souls now arrive in heaven under the altar. Remember, we've said all the way back in Revelation 4, that's what death is for a believer. You die, your body goes to the grave, as it were. Your spirit and your soul will come out of your body at that moment. It will be immediately taken to heaven. No lights, no tunnels, no weird stuff, just instant heaven. Death for the child of God, instant heaven. Instant heaven. And we also have said that's not the final stop, though, right? You're actually going from there back to this earth, to the eternal state. That's Revelation 21, 22. We'll read about that in the weeks to come. But, but catch it. These Christians arrive under the altar. And you need to know that under the altar is a place of mercy in the Bible. Under the altar is a place of God's compassion. It is a place of God's help. I'll say more about that in a second, but I want you to understand this. These people arrive in heaven. And even though they are in heaven, they are bothered. And they're bothered by the tribulation that the people are going through down on the earth. And for them, the situation is desperate. The situation down there is desperate. And so these people of God begin praying to God. And here's what we learn about praying. When you and I face tribulation, here's what we learn from them. Write this down as A, B, and C. A, when you're going through tribulation in your life, seek to pray passionately, not perfectly. Amen. Amen? Seek to pray passionately. Don't worry about being perfect. Listen to verse 10. They called out in a loud voice. Sovereign Lord Holy Inter- They call out in a loud voice. Every, everybody heads up. Because that phrase called out in a loud voice is explicit in the original Greek text. I always tell your Bible in the New Testament was originally written in Greek, Corte Greek, translated to English, Spanish, French, whatever. This phrase called out in a loud voice is graphic. For example, the word the, or the phrase called out is from the Greek word cradzo which sounds a little bit like (laughs) crazio. And that's not a bad description. This is an emotional cry. This is a passionate kind of crazy calling out to God. You'll notice also it says they cried out in a loud voice. Those two words, loud voice, are translated from the Greek words mega and phonos. Everybody say mega phonos. Everybody say megaphonos. Yeah, megaphonos is the word from which we get Megaphone megaphone. In other words, when these people arrive in heaven and they are bothered by what's going on down on the earth, they don't say, Oh Lord, how long? No, all of them call out, How long, oh God? You see, when you are going through great tribulation in your life, formalities in prayer goes out the window. You begin to pray from your gut. You begin to pray from your emotions. And if you stutter, you're God's son. You're God's daughter. He doesn't mind when you stutter. In fact, have you ever been praying And you were so emotional and you were so upset in your prayer that what came out was a sort of a wordless, meaningless groan. You just, it's just sort of like, God, I need your help. and, And you just groaned within. How many of you have ever felt that way? Yeah, maybe we all have. Listen, do you realize that God is so attuned to you when you cry out like that? that he can untangle what seems meaningless and you can't get together, he can untangle it and make perfect sense out of it? Listen to Romans 8. Romans 8 says this. I love this passage. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How does he help us? We don't know what we ought to pray for. Sometimes we can't get it out. just doesn't make sense. We can't put our words together. Watch what he does. But the Spirit himself does what? Intercedes for us through what? Wordless Wordless groans. In other words, the Spirit is able to take your wordless groans and take those wordless groans and make perfect sense out of them and untangle all of your confusion. What a God we serve. But I love this prayer because it's passionate, it's informal, and not only is it passionate and informal, this is a desperate prayer. Because these were desperate times. These will be desperate times in the tribulation. And here's what that means. Write this down as B. Desperate times trigger what? Desperate prayers. Yeah, desperate prayers. Listen to verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord? Folks, don't miss that. That is not a formal prayer. That is a desperate prayer. These people are crying out to God in desperation. Because for one reason they have no one else to turn to. Make no mistake about it. The people in the in the in the great tribulation, they will be they will be exposed. They will be vulnerable. Their backs will be against the wall and they will have no one to turn to but God. And they will cry out to him in desperation. Now, everybody lean into this. Because when you feel like you're exposed, when you feel like you're vulnerable, when you feel like nobody understands you, and when you feel like you're backed up against the wall with nowhere to go, and you cry out to God in desperation, listen, God is then desperately attuned to you. You have when you cry out in desperation, you have God's undivided attention like few people will have in those kinds of moments. Let me say it again. When you have no one to turn to. When you have no doctor and no lawyer. When you have no friend and no family. When you have no coworker and no boss. When you feel like you've got nobody and nobody understands and you call out to God in desperation and you lean on God in that time, listen, God leans into you in that moment. When you say, God, you are all I've got and you lean on God, listen, God leans into you. And by the way, that's precisely what these people in the great tribulation will face. There will be no foreign aid to help them. There will be no nation to give them asylum. There will be no international court to give them an ear. But they will have the ear of the almighty God. And listen, when you are in that situation, you have no aid and you have no help and you're backed against the wall and you feel like nobody can help you. Listen, you have the ear of Almighty God. He is the sovereign Lord, they call him. You have his ear. And by the way, one more thing, write this down to see that we learn from this prayer. You have permission to speak freely to God. That is so important. You have permission to speak freely to God. Listen to verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Everybody put your thinking caps on. Because it's difficult to discern the tone of that statement, of that question. It's difficult to discern, is it an emotional tone or is it a a frustration kind of tone? In other words, is it emotional like, how long, O sovereign Lord, holy and true? Or is it a frustrating tone? How long, God, before you do something to fix this situation? You see, we can't read the tone, but I think it's both. In other words, I think in this text there is a sigh. How long, O God, must I endure this? How long? Have you ever sighed to God like that? How long, Lord, must I endure this? But I also think there's a frustration in this passage. How long, oh sovereign God, must I endure this? In other words, hey, God, you're sovereign. That means you can do anything you want to. So when are you going to fix this? Have you ever cried out to God like that? God, how long am I gonna be single before you bring me somebody that's worthy of marriage? God, how long am I gonna be sick before you heal my body? God, how long am I gonna be depressed before you heal my mind? God, how long am I gonna be abused before you fix this situation? Again, I think all of us have had times in our lives when we have felt frustrated with God, especially when we know he's sovereign. And can fix this. And what you need to know at times like that, listen, you have permission to speak freely. To speak freely. Either as a sigh or out of frustration. You study the great men and women of the Bible and you find they spoke in frustration to God a lot. Jeremiah, David, Job, Moses... All of them. You look at these men and they spoke in front of you. One of them just said, Okay, God, just shoot me full of arrows. Go ahead. Just let me have it. Frustration. You see, I think God would rather you speak to him with your mind and your heart than some formality of a prayer, some poem of a prayer. You're his son, you're his daughter. He wants to hear from you. And you have permission to speak freely. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that we speak disrespectfully to God. But you do have the right to say, I don't get this. I don't understand it. You're sovereign. You're God. Why don't you, feel you have the right to do that? But you see, at the same time, I think we worry when we pray that we're going to say something wrong and we're going to make God mad and then God's going to want to get even with us. To which we then say, I wish I'd have never talked to him at all. <laughs> Folks, that's exactly where Satan wants you. He wants you to think God is so sensitive and so edgy that you better guard every word you say. So that you just get frustrated to the point you say, I, I'm just too afraid to talk to him. You're his son. You're his daughter. He's God. You speak respectfully. But he gives you the right to speak freely your heart, your soul, your mind, to sigh, to be frustrated, he gives you that right. So when you're in great tribulation, what do you do? You pray, you pray passionately, you pray desperately if you need to, and you pray knowing that God is saying, go ahead and speak freely, you're my son, you're my daughter, I wanna hear what you're thinking. And then write this down as big number two, I gotta hustle. In times of tribulation, focus on God. In times of tribulation, focus on God. Watch what they say. They called out in a loud voice, how long? I love this. Sovereign, Lord, holy, and true. I love that, folks, because here's what it teaches us in tribulation. Write this down as A and B. In times of tribulation... Don't focus on the power of your problem. Instead, write this down as B, in times of tribulation, focus on the power of your God. You see, sometimes when we pray, if we're not careful, we start to wade deeply into the weeds of our problem, right? We begin the prayer deep in the weeds with God. Look what they're doing to me on the job. They're not giving me the promotion. And God, I've worked so hard and I've been so faithful on the job. And God, look at that x-ray. You know, God, I thought things were fine. I'm fine yesterday. I go in. I got cancer today, God. And we, we just start deep into the weeds. And the problem with that, folks, is that it blurs your view of God. Even though that is all valid... But to begin your prayer like that, with the problem, interferes with your view of God. In other words, if you take your problem and pull it up so close to you, and obsess over it, you can block your view of God. You can't see God from the problem. Remember a while back, we were talking about the sun, and I think I was walking through some facts about the sun, it's something like, you know, every second, the sun converts, I think it's 700 billion tons of hydrogen into 669 billion tons of helium, and it just puts out tremendous energy. The sun is so large that you could take our earth and fit it into the sun 1,300 times, This is a star. It is powerful. It has all kinds of energy. It is huge. But check this out. I can take something as small as a penny, and if I pull it up too close, I can actually block the view of the sun with something as small as a penny. Folks, what an image of what happens when you grab your problem and you pull it up so close, you, you block the view of how powerful God is. You make your problem look bigger than God, which is exactly what Satan wants you to do. Stop it. Stop it. When you get that x-ray that says you've got cancer, don't pull that x-ray up so close that you can't see God and start freaking out. If your husband walks out on you, if your wife walks out on you, don't pull them up so close and say, I can't live without him. I just can't make it. I'll never make it. You're making them God when you do that. You're making them bigger than your God. Stop it. If you have a child that dies, don't go and stare at the grave and make that grave so big that you can't see that God has the power to raise that child from the dead bodily one day and you'll see him or her in the new earth. When your body becomes debilitated, don't focus on your debilitation to the point that you can't see that God has the power to walk you through this life even debilitated and one day he's gonna transform your body and give you a whole new body. Don't focus on the power of your problem. Focus on the power of God. Yeah, that's good. And you might be saying, well, Rick, I get it. I, I, I get it. But how long? You might be saying, Rick, I feel like Natalie and Rebecca stuck on that road. How long? Until. How long until this is fixed? Here's what you need to know. Write this down to C. I'm almost finished. In times of tribulation, no, there is an until. There is an until. Listen to verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Verse 11. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. What's the next word? Until. until. The full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. You say, meaning what? Meaning your suffering is not random. Your suffering is not just some arbitrary period of time, and you're just flailing in the wind, and God's just, oh yeah, she's still flailing in the wind over there. There is an until. Put it another way, there is an end to it. By the way, for these people praying in the great tribulation, their until is precisely 1,260 days. We're going to look at that in the weeks to come. But what God is saying to you and me is your suffering is not random. God knows exactly the number of days. And we need to remember Jesus said this. He gave us a promise. The promise is this. He said, in this life you will have tribulation. That's a promise. In this life, you need to get ready. You're going to have tribulation. Job said, as the sparks fly upwards, so man is born for trouble. We are are born for trouble. We are going to have tribulation, but here's what you need to know. I'm going to close with this. Write this down. It's one, two, and three. Here's what you need to know about your tribulation. Number one, sometimes God will shorten your tribulation. Listen to Matthew 24, Jesus said this, for then shall be great, what's that next word? Tribulation. Yeah, tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be Shorten. shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for this, the elect's sake, those days shall be Shorten. what? Shortened. In other words, sometimes God will just say, you know what? You've had enough. I'm going to shorten this. That's it. You're done. Other times God will say this, write this down as two. Sometimes God will take you out of it. He'll just take you out of the tribulation. He'll remove you from that situation. Listen to Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and there before me, this is in heaven, was a great multitude that no one could count From every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne. In other words, all of a sudden in heaven, millions of people show up around God's throne. From every tribe and language and people and nation. They just bodily show up in heaven. Look at verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? The answer... Verse 14, I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have what? Come out out of what? The great tribulation. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. But you see, sometimes God just says, you know what? I can't leave you in that tribulation that you're going through, so I'm just going to get you out of it. I love it when that happens, don't you? I love it when God just goes, enough. But a lot of times, God... We'll say, I'm not going to shorten it. I'm not going to take you out of it. But I'll get you through it. I'll get you through it. And here's what we need to know then. Write this down as three. God will always be with you in it. And through it. God will always be with you in it. He will be there with you. How many of you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah. Daniel 3. Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, you either shut up about God or I'm going to shut you up. And they said, we're not going to shut up about God, nor are we going to bow down to you, Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And he threw these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, into the fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace and saw something. Let me show you what he saw. Listen to the story real quick. Verse 22, Daniel 3. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, the the soldiers who threw them into the furnace burned up themselves. It was so hot. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, "Weren't there weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire?" They replied, "Certainly, your Majesty." He said, "Look, I see. Yeah, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed." And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. You say, who is that fourth one that looks like a son of the gods? Are you ready? Here's who it is. Be back in the coming weeks. (laughs) We're going to look at this. It is so amazing. But here's the point. When Satan says to you, you're all alone. You always say in your heart, I'm never alone. I'm never all alone. God's got my back covered. He's not just with me. He's with me in this. He's in this with me to the end. And he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He'll always be there with me. Now, I want to close with this verse. I want to go back to verse 9. This is so important. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw where? Under "Under the altar, the souls. Folks, that is so graphic because under the altar in the Bible is the place of mercy. Under the altar is the place of forgiveness. Under the altar is the place of compassion. Under the altar is the place of God's help. For example, in the Old Testament, When the sacrifice was offered, the sacrifice would be killed on the top of the altar. But once that sacrifice was killed, the blood from that sacrifice would flow down under the altar. And it was where the blood of the sacrifice was. That there was mercy. That there was forgiveness. That there was grace. That there was compassion that there was help. You realize every time you and I pray, we come under the altar. The sacrifice was Christ. and The blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sins. And when you pray, you are there under the altar where there's forgiveness and mercy and help. And God meets you there. He says, let us come boldly to the throne, to the altar. Now let me say this also. Many churches, and I love this, this is kind of old fashioned, this is kind of back in the day. But back in the day a lot of churches sort of designated the front of the the stage as the altar. How many of you remember that? There were a lot of songs about come to the altar. And I want us to do that. I want us to designate this as the physical altar and give you the chance to do physically what you're feeling in your heart. And that is to come to this altar and pray. Come to this altar and say, how long, oh God, must I stay single? How long, O God, must I be sick? How long, oh God, must I endure this radiation? How long, oh God, must I be in debt? How long, oh God, must our marriage struggle? How long, oh God? Fill in the blank. So I want to give all of us at all of our campuses, every campus has an altar, if if you will. And I want to invite all of us, and I'm coming. I I got my tribulations. I got got a lot of them, so I'm with you. And I want to invite you to come and just lay those problems at the altar where there's mercy and grace, and we're gonna pray for each other, amen? We need, we need to not only say pray to God, we need to pray for each other because we're all targets of attack. Let me remind you, if you're a believer, Satan hates you, he hates me, and we need to pray for each other for protection. And so I'm gonna ask at all of our campuses for folks to come, And pray, and then I want to pray over you as well. So right now as the music plays, let's all stand together so that no one feels awkward. Because this is not an awkward moment. This is a precious moment. And you come at all of our campuses. Just make your way down. People will let you by. Just come to the altar. If you're in a balcony at one of our campuses, we'll wait on you. You come as we sing. Father, these are your people these are your sons these are your daughters and God they have come to this altar because they're facing a form of tribulation in their life God many of them feel like they're stuck on a road that they can't get off of and they're wondering how long O oh Lord how long must I endure how long must I hold on? God, I pray that you would remind them that you hear them, that you are sovereign, they're not flailing in the wind, that this is not arbitrary, this is not random. There isn't until. And God, remind them that you may take them, you may shorten this tribulation, God, you may at some point just take them out of it. And God, you may, you may see them through it. But may they be reminded that you will be with them in the fire. That you will be with them through the fire. That you'll never leave them. You'll never forsake them. And that no problem they have is bigger than you. God, I know what Satan wants. He wants your people to walk away from you. He wants us to lose hope. He wants us to lose confidence in you to the point that we walk away because what a victory that would be for him. God, may we be resolved never to walk away, never to defect, but to have faith and confidence that you will get us through this God, that one day all of this will be passe, to be remembered no more. We will be on a new earth with new bodies. What a day that will be. Till then, Lord, we trust you because you are holy and you are true. Lord, I speak for all of us. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your compassion. I pray this in your name for your sake. Amen. Christ Fellowship, let's give all of these folks a hand at all of our campuses. Let's give everyone a hand. These are days of great tribulation. Days like this can be tough for all of us. Let's be resolved to pray for each other. If you have came forward, you can make your way back to your seat if you would like. But let's be resolved to pray for each other regularly and faithfully well hope you're going to be back next weekend we continue our study i'm going to ask all of our campus pastors to come forward now i love you all christ fellowship god bless you
0: if you want to take your next step as a believer we want to hear about it stop by cfmiami.org connect to fill out a connection card we want to thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time